Thank you very much for this invitation. Herzlich willkommen, as we say in Austria. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here because it's quite a nice story because uh, Christine visited me at my university in Vienna and she talked about open university to my students, yeah, to my student teachers and they were really listening to her because they, they are not used to such a big institution not teaching face to face. Yeah? So this is a very, very inter interesting experience for, for, for our students as well. I'm here at a conference at the EPIC, uh, which uh, deals with ePortfolio and identity in teaching and learning, which is a very, very nice uh, uh, opportunity to talk about ePortfolios. So we'll, I will talk about ePortfolios here as well. My name is Thomas, and I'm from Vienna University of Teacher Education. So it's our task at our university to teach and train student teachers for the primary and secondary uh, sector, secondary schools. Um, of course, we really do have a strong interest in teacher training, uh, in student teacher training, in research, and of course in international relations. Yeah? What we are quite proud of is that we are trying to really put a focus, or a tiny little focus, on e-education and the use of new learning technologies. Because in Austria, our teachers are supposed to be media literates, yeah? so that they should really try to work with new learning technologies in their lessons. So why do we use an e-portfolio? For us in student teacher education, uh, we believe that it's very important that our student teachers more or less understand the concept of self-organized learning. Yeah? Especially in the process uh, of the EU's lifelong learning context, uh, the principle of self-organized learning is a very important one, especially in the field of teacher education, when you really want to develop, when you really want to get feedback. So I took um, a theoretical concept by Juanung Prehauser, which says that there are more or less four basic components of self-organized learning. One component is that in our case, student teachers focus on their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah? Uh, in Austria, unfortunately, there is still some kind of culture to focus on weaknesses. I don't know if this is the same thing in Britain. Yeah? But especially for teachers, we're really trained to look for mistakes also with our students. Yeah? And that's why I really like the idea that you also should focus on strengths. And an e-portfolio might be a good tool to really focus on your strengths as well. Of course, the, se the concept of self-reflection, this is nothing new, especially in the pedagogical uh, sector, that student teachers or pedagogues should really try to self-reflect on their professional development, on their performance. That an e-portfolio really allows a differentiated systematic reflection so it's not only about saying, okay, I need to reflect, I need to reflect when I want to, but sometimes it's also good to have a structure to really try to come up with a systematic and continuous reflection, especially in teacher development. And that, of course, the individual learning process should be somehow document, documented with an e-portfolio and should also be tried to be focused on. This is the theoretical concept, one of the theoretical concepts. But the big question is, why do we use Mahara? Do you, have you ever heard of Mahara? Who has, if I may ask? Okay, good. So, we use Mahara, the first 
saying why we use Mahara is that because there's a lot of nice literature. By the way, this presentation with all the references uh, can be downloaded from my website on the very last slide. And I will also give it to you, of course. Yeah, because there's some nice references. Especially there was an analysis of open source ePortfolio tools. And Mahara was one of the, uh, was in the top three list based on various criteria, of course, like user friendliness and so on and so forth. Yeah, Mahara comes from Maori. Maori language it means to sing. So the developers are in New Zealand. And as you probably know, with Moodle and Mahara, there's a strong community in Australia and New Zealand really focusing on virtual learning environments, open source applications. So why do we use it? One very simple, non-academic and pragmatic reason is that we're going to save a lot of paperwork. Yeah? Because our student teachers have to write a reflection portfolio. And they're used to write it on paper. Yeah? And our professors are quite happy that they don't have to carry those very, very heavy uh, um, paper portfolios anymore. Yeah? It's a very pragmatic reason. Unfortunately, this is the top reason for our professors. They usually say, I like to use ePortfolio Mahara because I don't have to carry things anymore. They don't talk about reflection and self-organized learning. But if, as long as I get my professors to use Mahara, because of that reason, I'm quite fine. Yeah? Another reason is that the use of new media and new learning technologies is actually uh, manifested in our curriculum. Yeah? I think it's, uh, it's manifested in all curricula. Uh, concerning teacher ed education, but we are really trying to put a focus on. We're at the beginning, to be honest, yeah? But we're really trying to teach our trainers to be media literates. It's part of a lifelong learning initiative, because as you probably know, there's key competences. The EU asks for key competences. For one competence, of course, is language competency, yeah? And the other one is, of course, digital competency. And that's why we really want to be on the safe side, yeah? To also follow EU policy. And another thing is that our student teachers should become uh, media literates, that they should uh, acquire media competence, yeah? Not only using Mahara, but in general, that they should be acquainted with the so-called, I call it netiquette, or not I call it, but people call it netiquette, that they should also know how to work in forums, that they should know how to interact in forums, that they should give constructive feedback by using various tools, yeah? And of course, for me, as a member of the Department for Science and English, uh, they can also use English to learn a language, yeah, which I'm going to show you in a minute. So, there's a lot of definitions of ePortfolios, and I don't want to read them, of course. I think the one, uh, one of the most important things is that the student should be in the focus of using the ePortfolio, that the teacher is not the, you know, the professor anymore that really tries to observe development and professional uh, development, that the student is in the center of self-organized learning scenarios. Yeah? Um, and this is a slide I really like, because this slide, when I presented a paper about ePortfolios at the online Educa in Berlin, uh, a colleague of mine used his, uh, her iPad and tried to draw my presentation on this very, very slide. And I think it somehow, I mean, she misspelled my name, but that's cool, yeah? But I think the key concepts are here. Of course, reflection, yeah? Oh, you're good. I like that. This brings us back to the concept of self, or one key principle of self-organized learning, to focus on strengths, yeah? 
And of course, you have a chronological timeline. You document your learning process. I'm going to show you how this works in practice. Yeah, and that it's not in paper form. Yeah, so I quite like this. And of course, that they also should try to uh, document their expertise and their CV, of course, because showing uh, using an ePortfolio is also about presenting your skills. Which brings us to three basic types of ePortfolio. I can really recommend Baumgartner and Himzel and Zauchner. Um, they are really, really leading in the field of ePortfolios. And they also published a very good book, also in English, I'm going to pass it around, which really gives some very interesting as, uh, insights concerning a taxonomy of ePortfolios. And I tried to make that quite uh, simple by proposing three types of uh, portfolios we are using at Vienna University of Teacher Education. The first portfolio is a so-called reflection portfolio. A reflection portfolio mainly focuses on um, processes of reflection of your performances which were in the past. So you can say a reflection portfolio focuses on retrospective reflection, that our student teachers think and write about stuff they experienced, for example, when they were in the classroom. Yeah? The development portfolio would be the other way around, that our student teachers try to reflect uh, uh, about future happenings or events, that they try to think about the fact, what will happen with me, uh, the role as a teacher in two weeks' time, or how will I prepare my lessons, what will be my uh, factors for success. So that's the difference what uh, Baumgartner and Himsel say about reflection and development portfolio. Reflection portfolio, retrospective reflection, development portfolio uh, for future performances. And then we have the classic presentation portfolio, especially interesting for the corporates, uh, uh, for the corporates uh, sector, that you really try to show what you can do, where you're good at, that you really try to show your skills. Yeah? I mean, if you apply somewhere, yeah, usually the employers are interested in the presentation portfolio. But when it comes to language learning and also trying to develop professional skills in the teaching sector, I think the reflection and development portfolio are interesting and important as well. So, how does it work in practice? Uh, you know... You know how it is, when you come up with new stuff, you usually tell your students you have to do this and that. We truly believe that also this, uh, that the lecturer, the professor, should be a role model under inverted commas and should come up with a template or a possible example how to use an e-portfolio. And this is how my e-portfolio looks like. Yeah? So what's important here? This is a classical, more or less, presentation portfolio. I put my short CV here. And so that my students know where my skills are. Because for me, it always was interesting when I was at university that I knew what my professor did or what his achievements were, more or less. It's not about uh, bragging and it's not about showing off. It's just to know, hey, this is going to be the person I'm going to work with for the next couple of semesters. So again, also like the social component by showing a formal aspect of, uh, of a document is given. Yeah? Um, but I can also give the contact details, so this is very pragmatic stuff, but um, my students see this is the way a possible presentation portfolio could look like. Um, I try to uh, extend that a bit, I try to include my Twitter feeds, I try to inclu include my blog, yeah? so I synchronize all my social media channels with Mahara, 
I mean, this can, can be done with other ePortfolio software as well, but with Mahari, you can easily do this by hyperlinking it or just putting in the embed code. Yeah? And then they see my academic experience, and I also try to include YouTube videos. And I set milestones, yeah? So usually I have my dates here where my students know what I can do or where I will be in the, in the next couple of weeks. And, of course, uh, uh, other social media channels like SlideShare, Flickr Update. So, of course, this is quite a lot. And a lot of professors could say, well, I, I'm not interested in my students see the Flickr updates yeah, on my ePortfolio. But usually when I upload a, a picture on Flickr where I am, it will be automatically synchronized with my ePortfolio. So one could argue that I don't want to do this, yeah? But for me, it gives the students some kind of like human side, yeah? So this, uh, so actually it's quite dynamic because it always, uh, it, it always gets updated. But anyways, I think even more important is the student teacher as a role model. So how do our student teachers, mainly in the primary sector, elementary sector, and secondary sector, work with, a, uh, with an ePortfolio? We have about 2,500 students, is that right? And about 200 students use the ePortfolio. So about 10% using the ePortfolio is quite all right. Of course, we want to extend that. Um, but in general, I think this is quite a representative mass. Yeah. So you can see how our students use this presentation portfolio. So we tried to make a presentation portfolio where they really came up with their contact details and also their uh, education. But what's very important, and that uh, I want to more, more or less uh, make the reference to strengths and weaknesses, self-organized learning here again, that they should really try to write their personal skills and competencies. You know, the question, there was always the question, that our students said, come on, I, I started uh, here at university, I don't have any skills and competences and diplomas. But I think this is the, one of the most important aspects of having an e-portfolio that they should also write down if they joined the uh, Boy or Girl Scouts that they helped at the fire brigade. Because we had the example that some of the people who, who, who uh, were at the fire brigade read that and then they just uh, try to uh, try to communicate and try to relate. So I think also, also the non-specific uh, discussion or the non-specific or professional uh, discourse is very important in ePortfolio that people also try to relate on a social level. So, what else do we have? We have, have the aspect of communication and collaboration because uh, ePortfolio or Mahara offers the possibility to communicate in forums. Yeah, in groups or in forums. So uh, students can really co communicate in forums and groups. The big uh, advantage, and I'm going to kill two birds with one stone here, is that on the first, uh, in the first uh, example, or at first they communicate with each other, and they have often have to do it in English, of course. Yeah, and here the role as the professor is very important. I'm not reading those forum entries, and I'm not checking for mistakes. Yeah. So again, this is the role of like really saying, I'm not here. I'm not the observer here. I'm just like part of the virtual setting here. Yeah. Um, also, student teachers can uh, synchronize their own blog. So the the aspect of information of an ePortfolio is given, and communication by posting something on the wall. But I have to be honest, they rather do it on Facebook. Yeah. So if one could say where there is some kind of Achilles heel of our Mahara. Yeah, is that communication could possibly be improved because a lot of our student teachers are uh, 18, 19, 20 years old and they use Facebook to be honest. 
Yeah. So this is, would be one thing to consider how we could improve uh, interaction. So how do we implement our ePortfolio at our university? We thought, as it is, always is with a tricky, uh, with a technical tool, you have to make it quite simple. Yeah? So we started to make some kind of three levels. That our students start with the basics. That they start working with a portfolio. That they come up with contact details. That they try to upload their bio, their short CV. Very simple. Yeah? The second level would be that they should try and start communicating and collaborating. So we are really asking them to start writing their own blogs, their own journals that they should also like give some entries or post some entries into groups. And then the third phase would be the task-based reflection. That means our students at the end of, of the semester uh, are given six tasks, professional tasks, they should reflect on. For example, consider your role as an authority in the classroom. Yeah? Reflect on that. Second role, for example, talk about, uh, um, talk about various methods in the English lesson, for example. Or uh, write about an example where you really have problems with a kid. Yeah? So how does performance in the English sector then look like? Yeah? Um, um, I'm also like teaching the EFL students at my university. And I really like the ePortfolio because it offers a very good possibility to give peer feedback and to really work in a self-organized way. Because one task, and this is just one task, is that my students had to find a cartoon which deals with EFL teaching to some extent. Yeah? I didn't tell them anything more. The only thing I told them was find a cartoon which deals with EFL teaching and try to reflect on that considering the role uh, uh, considering your role as an EFL teacher. So what they did was they found, uh, tried to find an EFL topic autonomously. So again, this is a tiny little bit of self-organized learning. It's not a massive step, but it's a tiny little step. And then they tried to reflect on that, not really describe it, yeah, because I think it's very important that you distinguish in reflection between descriptive uh, reflection and more or less uh, formal or informal reflection, yeah? So that they shouldn't really always explain the cartoon, but also try to express their own opinion. And what I really like here is, again, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone, because they have to reflect, and they have to write in English. And then, I think this is one of the major power tools of an ePortfolio, is the possibility to give feedback, yeah? And um, peer feedback, that the, the, the student colleague does not write good or bad, and doesn't say you made a third-person ass mistake, but that he or she should try to give supportive and constructive feedback. So we are really trying to improve cultural techniques like giving feedback, and they're having courses how to give feedback. But I think this is a way to wittingly combine theoretical inputs uh, and really combine it with, a, with an electronical tool here. So what they hear in the, in the seminar, what they hear in the seminar giving feedback, they can more or less uh, try to include here in a practical context. Yeah? And I'm not, I'm not looking for mistakes here, to be honest. I will look at the mistakes when they hand in the written exams. Yeah? But for me, this is a very, a very constructivist way to approach to a language, uh, to learning a language. It's not a revolutionary way because we have forums and other learning platforms, but it's very simple and it's one part of the ePortfolio. How many minutes do I have for the dis Still, because 10 minutes, great. Okay. So, and again, language learning and self organized learning. Here, they have to write a blog 
where they reflect on their professional development being a teacher. So every week they should write one paragraph how they think they develop in, to a certain extent. We're not saying how did you improve your grammar teaching or how did you improve your, uh, um, I don't know, your teaching or listening comprehension. For us it's just important that they have the chance to reflect on an informal level that they really write what they think, how they improve. And I think this is a very vital feature of self-organized uh, learning, again, because they try to uh, do self-reflection continuously. Yeah? And again, the good thing is they have to write it in the English language. Yeah? So they have to try to reflect in English, which sometimes is a difficult task for our student teachers, because reflecting in your native tongue is, totally some is sometimes something else than reflecting in, in the L2. Yeah? We call this page of an e-portfolio, so we have the presentation portfolio, and we call this the Gazette, which is from a very good book by uh, uh, L. Mary Murphy, Mahara Cookbook 1.5, where she really gives great best practice ideas how one could use uh, an e-portfolio. Yeah? And we uh, thought the Gazette might be a nice title for that, because a Gazette more or less shows your product, shows your ideas, shows all your collections. And what our students have to do here with the Gazette is that they have to keep their blog here. Yeah? So again, they try, to, uh, uh, they try to blog about professional development, their role as a teacher. Here, they also do write a blog. Here, they can also write a blog about uh, a cool tool they found for the EFL lesson again. Yeah? So this big blog should rather be a more or less an essay or a text about their development. These blogs here are more or less also like writing about uh, useful links and useful material they could use. And they provide this link, but they also have to argue why this link is useful for them. Just not posting, I don't know, bbc.co.uk. They also have to argue why they think this link might be relevant for the, for the uh, English lesson. So, and again, they have to formulate that in English. And of course, they have to set goals with a plan module of Mahara. So they are asked to more or less to, to set some tiny little goals for this semester, and then they can tick it off here when they achieved it. Yeah? And this is a very, uh, there's a very simple goal, become a grammar teacher. But it's at least this person is aware that probably his or her grammar teaching or his personal grammar is, might be improvable. Yeah? And this is what I believe in is one powerful aspect of ePortfolios, that you really set yourselves tiny little goals, not always visions. Yeah? Because especially in the field when they start teaching, they are not very secure and they make mistakes. I think this might be a very good uh, idea to set realistic goals. Yeah? And of course, we're, uh, it's important for us that they also know that ePortfolios in general and all the things they upload should be put under the Creative Commons license because I think this is also very important that this whole idea of sharing stuff, sharing ideas and what they have to do here is share their blog, share their material is very important. Yeah? Because in Austria, especially in Austria, it's like this that people don't like to share stuff. Yeah? I think it's the same here, right? Probably. I don't know. Yeah? So, because I know a good example where a colleague of mine wrote uh, a handbook for teaching German as a foreign language, and he uploaded this uh, uh, handbook on Moodle, and the only feedback he got from his colleague was not, yeah, great job, thank you for sharing that. The only feedback was, of course, on page 2 there's a uh, spelling mistake, on page 17 there's a grammar mistake. Yeah? And by telling our students, everything you write here should be 
should be made available to the others. Of course, we can't force them. We have the, we have the examples that some of our students said, no, this is my private stuff. I don't want to share it. We have to accept that. But in general, we're trying to enforce or support this spirit of sharing material. So, how does the reflective process look like at the end of the semester? So, this is the ideal scenario. After six semesters, our students have uploaded all their task-based reflections in one place so that they can have access all the time. Because you know how it is. Our students hand in their portfolios in a written form, and the, the professors read it and give them a mark or a comment. Our students will never ever pick them up. They're happy that they just get their grade, and the, the, the folders are in my office. Here, they read their feedback because they have constant access to their feedback and they have constant access to the material. Because you know how it is when you went to university and you want to tidy up your room, you try to, to move out your folders and then you see, ah, this is what I learned at university. Yeah? And then you throw it away or at least you, put it, you, you save it. But when you have constant access to your reflective procedures concerning your professional development, this is a very good approach that the students always try to see where they are or where they improve or where they develop. And then we get feedback here. So we take this quite seriously. So I try to really give a solid or solid or quite extensive feedback because I think this is one of the most important things. If you, this is a lot of work for our students. Yeah? And when you just write down, yeah, well done, uh, the motivation will be, will be uh, I don't know, will be... Um, will be gone. So, and very, uh, very short, our research project, how does it look like? So in the first semester, we tried to analyze the usability of Mahara. We did a questionnaire on that, because I think when you install a technological tool, you can't ignore the fact that it's technological. So you really have to deal with the fact how you introduce it. In the second semester, we're going to analyze the didactical versatility of Mahara that we really focuses, focus on tools like the blog and the journals so that we really want to see how this could improve more or less the teacher development. In the third semester, we're going to talk about competence-oriented learning and self-organized learning to really try to combine the things we learn from literature into our, uh, uh, into our uh, research project with a lot of uh, qualitative interviews and, and questionnaires. And in the fourth sem semester, I think this really represents the idea of an e-portfolio. We want to spread the word. So all our scientific insights and all our experience will be more or less shared on a Mahara page where everybody has access to it. So what we want to do is that we want to share our experience and that we want to uh, include or invite other institutions that they, uh, they're going to work on it as well. So what does the survey tell us? So that was a tiny little survey with our student teachers from lower secondary school and elementary schools. Uh, in the first semester, there was a question. I mean, the question was not that simple, but the question was, Mahara is a simple t is tool from a technical point of view. Yeah? And in the first semester, uh, uh, the people said, 55% said it's true. And in the third semester, 10% said it's true. And that was quite quite interesting for us. How come? And uh, what we found out is that sometimes the popularity of a technological tool strongly correlates with a professor who, tries to, who introduces it. Yeah? And this brings us back to the idea that we have a lot of professors who just say, uh, ePortfolio is cool because I don't want to carry a lot of paperwork. This might be probably, might be those. 
yeah, here. Because, and there's a lot of uh, professors who believe in the collaborative and reflective power of Mahara portfolios. And, you know, you somehow explain stuff differently. If you believe it in a tool that it's got a power, that it's got didactical power, you try to introduce it in a different way, even if it's technological. You know what I mean? The passion is different. This is very unscientific, and we have to find a scientific uh, um, 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 reason for that. But we're working on that. Yeah? But this is our insight so far. So, what did our students give us feedback concerning verbal feedback? That it's a complex structure, that sometimes they don't understand how Mahara is structured, and they don't understand how it basically works. And this, again, brings us back to the question that you, or the thing that you really have to explain them, where is more or less the value of Mahara. And not just saying, this is a tool where you can upload your documents. This is not enough. Yeah? And still, brings us back to the question of media literacy again, and media competency. Uh, for a lot of students, it's time-consuming working with a new tool. Yeah? Um, but in general, our student teachers say, we definitely want to continue with Mahara. And this is, I think, a very good thing uh, to do. Especially here, that they say continue in the third semester. In the first semester, the student teachers say, oh, we don't want to continue. Which brings us to, a, to the idea, of course, that it takes some time to gain acceptance. Yeah? So now I think that it's very important that you really try to come up with very slow and comprehensible introductory, introductory processes that you include a tool. And what we do at our university is that we start with workshops for professors and with workshops for student teachers that they have to take part and have a look how this whole thing works. And we have a so-called Mahara hotline, yeah, where the students can drop me a mail if they really have a question. Good. So an e-portfolio in a nutshell for us is that every student a teacher can take over responsibility for their prof professional development. I think this is extremely important that if you really want to work with this tool, it's totally up to you. And it really helps you to develop in a professional way when you reflect on your, on your, uh, on your performance. That you can uh, manage your professional performance in a self-organized way because the teachers are not telling them all the time what they have to do so that they really should try to find what they want to do and where they want to put their reflective focus on. It's very important that students initiate their learning process. And very simple reason is that they really continuously use the English lesson. And a lot of students told me that they really learn a lot because... Uh, you know, student teachers or stu uh, uh, teachers in general are perfectionists, yeah? And before my students uh, click submit to a blog, they read it. I mean, it's not extremely authentic when they always, always reread their own text, yeah, or blog. But at, uh, as long as they try to deal with the language and look something up in the dictionary and try to come up with improved discursive uh, performance, then I'm very okay with that. And, of course... That brings us back to uh, self-organized learning. They should reflect systematically, as you saw that they should reflect with their presentation portfolio, that they should uh, reflect with their gazette. So they have a general template or structure uh, on things they should uh, reflect on. And, of course, it should be continuous communication and collaboration. Whereas, I have to say, communication procedures are quite weak so far. Yeah? And if you know idea, if you have ideas how we could improve that, I mean... Yeah, 
I mean, we can't, uh, we can't cancel Facebook, can we? Yeah. So, and of course, it's somehow also a learning diary. As I t showed you before, that after six semesters, all the students have access to their reflections, where they can really try to look up uh, for headwords when they want to focus on something, and they can really print it out or can look uh, at their professional development. But still, I usually don't want to stop with a negative aspect, yeah? But still, it's technical problems. I'm not only saying that teachers try to avoid this kind of thing. It's also about really having solid computer labs, solid internet connection. But still, which is a very ideological thing which, we, uh, thing which we possibly could talk about for the next century, the technophobia under inverted commas among teachers, yeah? That still, there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of concerns about using new technologies. I'm just giving you one example. A lot of teachers just say, yeah, these new things, they are so contemporary, oh, and they're so, it's so fast living, this world is so fast living, our students rather sh should learn to read and write. Yeah, it's, I don't, I, I don't, I don't find the connection to this by using new technologies. But you see, we're facing quite a lot of polarizing and quite uh, superficial arguments against the use of new technologies. Yeah? But in general, uh, the awareness and, uh, and, the, and the perception or, uh, of, of, of the ePortfolio among our students is a good one because they really see the didactical uh, potential of using such a portfolio for their professional development. Thank you. Usually we try, we want our students that they try to communicate in forums, that they sometimes informally discuss EFL topics, EFL teaching topics, that they should really also should write a simple forum entry, tomorrow the lecture has been postponed and stuff like that, that they upload a, a nice material via the forum, um, which is not happening actually. Yeah, and uh, because the forums are more or less not really, not really occupied, so to say. Yeah, and the thing is, well, and I was checking back and I was asking my students, and they usually said, "Yeah, Mr. Stasser, we don't do this because we have Facebook for that." Yeah, and we're gonna post all our messages, all our messages on Facebook. Yeah? And I want to say that Facebook is the only reason that communication does not take place, but we really tried to give some kind of provocative impulses that I posted a very provocative statement, for example, uh, teachers should not have holidays, but nothing actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or probably they dissed me in Facebook saying Stas is totally freaked out and I don't know what's wrong with it. Yeah. So, um, so this is also, literature says that sometimes the work in groups, uh, due to the, to, the, uh, to the presence of new media, social networking channels, is quite tricky, especially because this, the students refer Mahara discussion quite, in, uh, they, they see it as an institutionalized discussion, yeah? Even if we don't observe them, they still see it, this is institution, this is a virtual learning environment, it's institutionalized, yeah? And whereas Facebook they see, this is their own, yeah? And sometimes, I, I totally get the point of view that they say, I don't want to talk about everything at, on an institutionalized, in an institutionalized setting. 
Um, yeah, thanks. That was a very interesting talk and, and interesting to see you using that environment in so many different ways. Um, I was involved in a project uh, here at the Open University called E-Return, which was looking at supporting women returners going returning to employment <laughs> after a career break. So slightly different kind of student group, but um, the e-portfolio is the kind of central tool to, to support them. And one of the things that we were exploring was what happens afterwards. <laughs> because they put all, and that became one of the points of resistance as well mm -hmm. to, you know, we spend all this time, this is yes. he raised this question, what's the point of doing spending all this time for meeting here? What happens with our repository afterwards. Mm -hmm. So we were looking at issues of interoperability, yes. transferring into other systems, and I wondered whether you'd consider This that. is a very good question I was just talking about with a colleague of mine yesterday. The first thing is, uh, they can of course download and export their file, they can zip it and they can actually upload it to any Mahara system. But, well, they download it and then they would, would probably never ever use it again. So what, for example, the Danube University in Krems does, and we are trying to steal that idea, I mean, I, I asked my colleague if I could, yeah, <laughs> uh, is that they try to give them their, uh, when they graduate from university and they become alumni, alumni, they say as a present, more or less, yeah, you get lifelong access to our Mahara portfolio, yeah? So that means they don't have to download, ex export, or zip it. They still have access to it. And actually, it's not a big deal because I said, what's the cost about it? And he said, it's nothing because it's a bit of server space. Yeah? And I really like the idea because somehow you, you, you create corporate identity. I mean, if, if you leave our university and you think, uh, think, I don't want to see it ever again, okay. But there's a lot of people who say, I, I enjoy myself being at Vienna University of Teacher Education. And then you have some kind of like, Binding procedure of like really having the alumni still connected to your to your uh, institution by by giving them the present of lifelong. I mean, it's it also sounds quite exaggerated, lifelong access to the Mahara portfolio. But I quite like the idea. But they, well, as you said, what happens next? Okay, you graduate from university, but that's the whole idea of an e-portfolio and lifelong learning that you still continue because you're not done after university being a teacher. Yeah. I mean, I'm realistic, not a lot of them will continue doing that, but we still have a lot of experience. All the student teachers will really like the idea of doing constant self-reflection. And that's why we're quite heading towards really giving them the access to it. And we're saying, okay, this is yours. Enjoy yourselves. Okay. Well, it's the same question, the portability and the security, because if they can take away we can still opt-in, then mm -hmm. how do you maintain the security firewalls, etc.? Unfortunately, it's something one has to... Consider. It's still an issue, yeah, and we're really trying to come up with, uh, with an idea that might be quite comprehensible. The thing is, the only thing we can do so far is we check the credentials uh, when our student teachers enroll for our system. They do this automatically. The only thing we do is we check the credentials and then they actually have access uh, to everything, more or less, and they can upload everything. And if there's malware being uploaded and stuff like that, our system will possibly tell us that, but in general, we're not having super secure uh, uh, security settings, to be honest, yeah? Which is probably not that super professional, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> You know, sometimes I love to dream and I have the vision of this is, we like each other, we have a whole nice system, constructivist system of 
uh, uh, trying to do some self-reflection. But of course, there's like people who upload. Yeah, so we're not having a plan on that, to be honest. It was more about the security, you know, they're putting out all their personal details. Oh, right, okay. Young, young folks are quite... Uh, yeah, that, uh, sorry, I got the question wrong. Yeah. So um, privacy is, is the issue as well. As I told you, privacy, um, connected with the whole Creative Commons idea, we're trying to give them, te not teach them, or talk about the spirit, and also like security settings, because I actually don't like the, uh, the, the term of digital natives, because a lot of... Uh, experts say that our student teachers or kids are digital natives. Okay, they know how to post a Facebook entry and to book a flight, yeah? But they don't know to set security settings and they don't know how to really work with new learning technologies. And we're tr really trying to have a... We're, ha we're having a course which deals with social security, digital identity and social media, where we tell them, it's your choice. You're, you don't have to share all of your reflection. The only prerequisite is that they have to share their personal reflections with the professor. And you can easily uh, adapt that in Mahara to say what we want to share. Yeah? I'm just uh, connecting to this, this whole discussion of security and mm -hmm. privacy. That there mm -hmm. is almost a tension between um, encouraging people to share information about their particular competencies mm -hmm. and an individual thinking. Mm -hmm. um, have I actually got the trust in this software, in this organization? So, um, have you got any uh, views on how to like, best to convey to students that it's okay that this environment or, or institution is one that is going to be be respectful of, of the things that you choose to share um, internally, mm -hmm. because uh, like understanding what is Googleable and uh, what isn't Googleable, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it is a tough thing, and mm -hmm. uh, people may have concerns that uh, the things that they write mm -hmm. uh, um, in a, a particular environment could be made available outside. So. Um, having trust in the institution and, and the software to the environment is important. It's a very good point and we really try to convey that and that's why we always say, tell, say them we are not forcing you to make your uh, reflections available. Yeah, But we also uh, would like the idea that you show your competencies but I know that there's a lot of students who say I don't want to show my competencies, I don't want to show to someone else that I, I can do judo. Yeah, and I think this is the great uh, this is the great discussion like this sh uh, this shift of paradigm concerning self presentation and self representation that we tell our student teachers and uh, we we have got quite good experience that we are trustworthy and you can trust us but still there's a lot of dangers concerning uh, data security of course that if you don't feel comfy, yeah, then you really set your security settings that only your professor can see it. And in Mahari you can uh, easily do that, and you can really also increase the security settings that it's also not Googleable, yeah? But this is quite a, a, a very, very, uh, not a, a complicated procedure, but when you have 200 student teachers, and you individually have to adjust that as an administrator like I have to do, then it might turn out to be quite annoying, but in general, we're really making them aware before we start with Mahara, think of uh, privacy, think of data security, and it's up to you, but what we can offer you is, uh, is some kind of trustworthy, secure, and professionally, uh, or pedagogically professional environments. Yeah? Do you know what I mean?
Was that the answer to your question? Yeah, because I'd be concerned, if, you know, 20, if I was reading now when I wrote at 21, I'd be very embarrassed. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the internet. I get your points, but... Yes, I'd be a bit concerned. But, as I said, this is still commentated... Uh, they, uh, they refer this Mahara portfolio to institutionalized reflection. So usually okay. what they write on Mahara won't be, oh, I had a pop crawl and went binge drinking <laughs> yesterday, yeah? So this, the only That's fear crazy. they have... You know, I tell you what, and this is still an Ill illness of teacher is of teachers is that they are not afraid of sharing their personal insights and reflections, but they are afraid of, especially in the English field, that they are making mistakes. Yeah, that's why uh, in the first and second semester we offer them to reflect in German. Yeah, when they really start learning or improving the language. I was just quickly going to ask you, uh, we talked talk about students and it's been really interesting, but you, you, you referenced these professors that, uh, and, and I wondered if there had been any changes in, in the assessment practices of the professors. And, and we know that with some of our people here, we would have to actually encourage them to use such an electronic tool because they would be unfamiliar with it. So how did you deal with that aspect? That our professors use new life technologies or... Do they, do they just transition to it from the paper version? Do they do the same? Okay, yeah, right. Those, we have, we have a team of eight professors who just said, okay, we're getting rid of paperwork and we, we, we're, we're going to use Mahara then. Yeah? Uh, but the thing is, what we want to introduce is that in future, when our professors apply at our university, since we have a strong interest in media pedagogy, that this is a requirement that they need to work with new learning technologies, but unfortunately we can't force them. And uh, some of our bosses really still have doubts that we should include it in the, in the requirements for the application. So what we have is a, a league of idealist uh, volunteers, to be honest. And we want to extend that, that we really also try to come up with certain criteria what our professors should have. Yeah, and I'm not saying that the professor should work with uh, Mahara, but sometimes it's still, a lot of professors said, no, I'm too old for that, and I don't want to use that, and I leave it, and nothing happens. Yeah. So it's a voluntary. It is. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I'm totally against, especially while I'm a big fan of constructivist learning and stuff like that, that sometimes also like forcing stuff and also like uh, telling people what to do is some kind of contradictory to some of my uh, learning approaches. But sometimes, and there's a lot of literature saying, for example, Klaus Nixon-Guttermann says in his article, that if you really want to have a system run, Sometimes the institution have to make things mandatory or obligatory, yeah. Even if it's unpopular, and I, I, our students have to do it, the, the the selected groups. So why not our professors? But this would be a possibly an unpopular idea. But I think institutionalized uh, obligation is sometimes a part of success uh, for having a uh, a tool uh, a university for example. Stop yeah. Thank okay. You one, question. one more question for yeah. No, 
and this is a question we because we want to uh, make it somehow different because we have uh, we, we really believe in the idea of personal learning environments yeah and Mahara might be one tool so we are also trying to come up with a system because uh, and a structure because we have Moodle we have Mahara we have WordPress and we have podcasts yeah and we want to combine this so what we are trying to do is possibly next semester is that Mahara is more or less our hub or repository, and we're going to link the single sign-on with Moodle, with the WordPress, and with the other podcasts. Yeah. So we're trying to include uh, various uh, various applications onto Mahara then, because uh, now we're doing it like this: the the, the, the students who use uh, Moodle, uh, Mahara, don't use use Moodle because they uh, they really mix it up and they're getting confused. Yeah, but this can't be the future because we're all talking about personal learning and environments, and everybody adapts his or her own needs concerning application. That's why we believe that we're going to make a Mahara page where every student can include his or her applications to personalize learning and development. Okay. Thank Good. You Thank you. Thank you.